Welcome you all to Richmond Hill. Would you please pray with me? <coughs> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past weekend, I was sitting with a good friend in my backyard, having breakfast and drinking coffee. And somehow, we ended up having a long conversation about money. It was one of those rare occasions where we both noticed we were headed into uncertain, pretty vulnerable territory. And we just went there anyway, trusting our friendship to hold it. We come from very different economic backgrounds raised in families with very different relationships to money. As adults, we've had experiences, different experiences, that have created our current financial positions and different factors shaping the stories we tell ourselves about money. And yet, it turns out that the most powerful feeling we both have in our relationship to money is the exact same. It's shame. Isn't that wild? Across all these differences, both of us caught up in different places in these systems of injustice that dictate the unequal distribution of wealth largely outside both of our individual control. Across all that, the same feeling, shame. And we both realized that our particular shame deepened when we allowed our relationship with money to impact our own self sense of self-worth. I often think that our relationship with money is a lot like our relationship with food, or perhaps religion, or perhaps even sexuality. It can be loaded, layered, and compacted with all of our experience, our family history, our personal history, our neuroses, social pressures outside of our control, the way race and power and wealth works through our societies, sometimes even our own trauma. So often, no matter the particularities of our stories, and whether we come from scarcity or abundance, our relationship with money can somehow still get tangled up in shame. Am I alone in this? Shame blocks us from having conversations about money. It blocks us from being honest about money. It keeps us talking to ourselves about money instead of talking to one another, instead of sharing our stories with one another. It turns out, Jesus is not at all ashamed to talk about money. He talks about money all the time, to his disciples, to the Pharisees, to the crowds, to anyone who will listen. Of the roughly 40 or so parables in the gospel, about half of them engage directly with money. We meet the wi widow giving away her two coins in Mark 12. Matthew 6 tells us that what we do with our money reflects our heart 
in that famous line, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 19 describes Jesus' call for the rich young man to sell his possessions to give to the poor. While While in Matthew 22, Jesus reminds us that it is the emperor's face on the coin, not God's. Throughout these teachings, Jesus calls us not to be ashamed, but to be wholeheartedly, radically, and intentionally generous with money. To not let ourselves get attached to money, but also recognize that we make ethical decisions every time we use it. And of course, Jesus' teachings never fail, never fail to remind us that he always stands on the side of those who don't have much money. So when we come to tonight's reading, the parable in Luke 16, this is a crazy parable. (laughs) We've got a rich man unhappy with his steward, who then, in a panic, goes and makes some deals to to the man's debtors. He trades his employer's financial capital for his own social capital. The man is then commended for being shrewd. We get some words that sound wise, but complicated about dishonesty. And just as we are furrowing our brow in confusion, we end up with this famous line that has us nodding vigorously, almost in relief with enthusiasm. You can't serve God and money. Amen. But wait, what? How did we get here from that whole story? It seems that this parable itself is as complicated as our relationship with money. One theologian commentator writes, most likely there are as many perspectives and interpretations of this parable as there are readers. Another is more direct. This parable is difficult to read and difficult to preach. The reader is often left to struggle for meaning just as the preacher struggles to interpret. Both end up frustrated. So I pray that we find an interpretive path out of this frustration. So I'm going to try to keep it simple. The thing that strikes me reading this scripture lesson is that shame about money leads to dishonesty and unfaithfulness. The man caught doing something wrong with money talks to himself in shame instead of talking to anyone else. He even states just to himself that he's ashamed. And then that leads him to be dishonest and unfaithful. When we're ashamed, we clam that we when we are ashamed, we clam up, we close up. We don't want to be we don't want to be honest about what we're feeling, about our own culpability or even the facts of our situation. We shut down. And it's hard to be honest and faithful with money if we're filled with shame. And if our shame is rooted in this idea that who we are is what we own, Jesus is here to remind us otherwise. You cannot serve God and money, he says. It is an admonition, yes, but it's also an assurance of grace. God is not wealth. Thank God. God is not wealth. God is love. 
And as Paul reminds us, nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Somehow, when we can be dealing with money, that is so hard to remember. So then how do we relate to money? in a way that is fruitful and rooted not in shame and dishonesty, but rooted fully in God's love. Reading this parable in light of all of Jesus' other teachings about money, we are perhaps called to align our money to where and how God is working in the world. If we're called to serve God and not wealth, we better be putting the wealth we have into the service of God. I often think of money like a river. Bear with me. It might not work for you, but this metaphor works for me. If I have a healthy relationship with money, it's flowing through me, with enough coming in and enough going out. It's if it's either a dry riverbed or a stagnant pond where nothing is coming in or out, that relationship becomes unhealthy. Money can be life-giving if it is given and received generously and prayerfully. It can give life to some pretty wonderful things in the world. It can also be destructive and toxic, especially in a society where it pools around power, unevenly distributed, hoarded by a small few when so many are left dry. Greed blocks that river from flowing. So does shame. As individuals, thinking about money like a river calls us to intentionally direct our money in whatever way we can, whatever way we have, towards the places and things we want to nourish in this world, towards the businesses that we believe in, towards the stranger who needs it, towards the communities and causes we care about, towards advocacy for a more just system where money is more evenly distributed, to try to align our money with God's love, a love that also flows through us. As a community here at Richmond Hill, thinking about money calls us to be honest and not ashamed about our own stewardship. It calls us to ask for money when we feel confident that we can direct it towards our mission of healing metropolitan Richmond through prayer, racial reconciliation, spiritual development, and hospitality. It also calls us to do our best to align our fundraising efforts with our values of justice. A healthy community is not one supported by a few individuals with a lot of wealth and power where conversations about money happen behind closed doors. A healthy community is one with many streams flowing, full of gifts of all shapes and all sizes, given in love by all different kinds of people. Which brings us to the amazing praise. Tonight, we kick off a two-day collaborative fundraising effort alongside 19 other nonprofits working in the city. You'll see more information about it on 
your chair. Our goal with this fundraiser is to lift up other ministries in the city while broadening our own support from a wider range of people, to ensure that more people have ownership and take stake in our mission here at Richmond Hill, to together work to heal our metropolitan Richmond. So I stand here now unashamed, asking for money. It could be 50 cents. That would be great. It could be a dollar or a thousand dollars. Anything prayerfully and intentionally given will be gratefully received and honestly tended. But more importantly, I stand here unashamed, asking you to recognize that your worth in God's eyes has nothing to do with money, what you have or what you give. Jesus tells us that we cannot serve both God and wealth to remind us that God is not wealth. Our worth as beloved children of God has nothing to do with money. God loves you, no matter who you are or what you own. And nothing, nothing can separate you from that love. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.